Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Real Estate Strategies Podcast, where we host in-depth conversations on everything real estate with the industry's biggest movers and shakers. I'm your host, Ken McElroy. Let's get right into this episode. Well, first, I want to introduce my good friend, Chris Martinson. Big hand for Chris. Hey, everybody. So, uh, Chris, uh, let's start off with, uh, uh, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself and your background, because it's quite impressive. Oh, thanks. First, hey, Kenny, so great to be here with you, with everybody. My first time at Limitless, and I'm really glad to be here. So, hey, I'm Chris Martinson, uh, former scientist once upon a time, um, pathology degree, did a lot of science, took a turn. Went, got an MBA, went into business for a long time. And for the past 15 years, I've been the owner and operator of a site called Peak Prosperity. Has anybody heard of Peak Prosperity out there? Oh, nice. Excellent, excellent. So um, this is an online community of people, and we're, we're interested in resilience and how to get ahead and understanding where the puck's going to be so we can skate there and just trying to figure out where everything's going. So I'm a curious guy, and I take my science and my business and put it together, and I tell stories. Well, I, I've read all your books, and I love I love your site, and I love the, your podcasts and and the videos you guys put out. So let's jump right in. Um, so the Fed yesterday met. Mm. Powell met. He decided not to increase rates. Mm. But when we were talking, you said you got to read between the lines with what the where where the Fed is and where they're going. So I'd love to hear what you think. First up, we have to understand that the Federal Reserve are monetary vandals, okay? They, they create the problems. They're, they're like the arsonist who's also the firefighter, you know? This is how they operate. So Jerome Powell's on record saying a couple of things lately. First, he noted that the levels of debt in the United States, federal debt only, are now increasing much, much, much faster than our income or our GDP. And he next said that he's not going to fund that anymore, if the Federal Reserve does not fund that debt, it's literally lights out. So, of course, they'll have to. So I'm going to say Jerome Powell was not being honest in that statement. I think maybe he thought he was going to be honest, Ken, but he can't be honest because if the Federal Reserve doesn't monetize that debt, it's game over for the fiscal budget. Well, it's all transitional anyway, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, everything's transitory. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I have yeah. to laugh because they, their positioning statements, they, they just keep... Um, they just keep coming. So, so we've had ten rate increases. Mm -hmm. Things are crashing. Mm -hmm. What inning do you think we're in? Probably inning five, because the uh, here's what I trust that Jerome is going to do. He said he's going to raise rates until he breaks the system. Right now, he, he wants to break labor. Right, he doesn't care about capital as much, but he wants 
he, he thought it was it's unacceptable to the Federal Reserve whenever wages start to rise. So he's going to keep applying pressure until he sees wages crack, and he needs them to crack pretty meaningfully because he's got inflation. He wants to get inflation to 2%. Maybe 3 they're going to put some wiggle room on that at this point in time. So they're going to have to keep rates high for as long as necessary to get that done. And we are starting to see, as you, you would know better than I, right, the impact this is happening in all sorts of sectors, commercial real estate, in niches, right, office buildings, obviously. But this is starting to really impact a lot of interest rate-sensitive businesses. And that's why I think people should study the Federal Reserve. you got to understand what they're doing, because it's not just a guy giving mumbly statements, which it is. They control everything about how the story's going to go. So I know years ago, when after we climbed the pyramids... Um, I had you come to one of my properties and I said, how, you know, cause you're an expert at getting things off the grid. You know, you looked at the water, you looked at the solar, you looked at the electrical, you looked at all that stuff. And we're trying to do a zero carbon footprint. So can you talk a little bit about, about that? Because, you know, what you've been able to do is be completely self-sustaining. And I think one of the risks we have moving forward is, is that we're tethered to all these things that are super inflationary. Well, not just inflationary. A big thing that I talk about is, is how our systems are very cost efficient, but they're not very resilient, right? So we have these 12,000-mile supply chains to create, you know, these headphones. We have um, five days of food in any particular community out there, any city, right? And so one of the things I talk about is what would happen if, this is a thought game, what would happen if, tail risk, but what would happen if our money system really started to break down, or pick another threat, right? This cyber pandemic they keep promising is going to happen, or whatever. Doesn't matter what the story is. So it just makes sense to me that, like, carrying fire insurance on a building, Ken, that we ought, to, we ought to maybe understand, pull some of those other things a little closer to home, right? So at the, at the end of all of my COVID podcasts from 2020 through 2022, I said, plant a garden. Plant a garden. You know, yeah, I think it's, it's time for us to bring some of that food resilience home, our emotional resilience is exceedingly important. Our social capital is exceedingly important. So I'm not a guy here saying, hey, you know, we should all like get bunkers and, you know, hunker down and wait. Be positive. Get out there. Thrive. Bring things into your life that add a lot of joy to it and resilience. Because, I listen, we can't trust that the system is going to carry on. Right, right. And and I know one of the big factors and one of your... Uh, you know, one of the uh, multiple podcasts and multiple videos, and certainly in your book, is what you call peak oil. So oil. So oil, can you explain how oil is basically in everything, almost? <laughs> it seems like it's everything. So certainly transportation of everything, but, you know, also in a lot of products. Oil is in everything. It's me. I'm, I'm walking oil right now because I eat food and food is grown with oil. Right? How's that? Well, obviously the tractors, obviously the transportation, the cooling, you know, the heating, cooking of it, all that, but as well the fertilizers and the pesticides, the herbicides that are all going in as input. So when you look at oil as an input, it's in everything. And this, I'm going to be talking about this in my talk tomorrow, which 930 tomorrow. No. This is so important and not many people really know about it. And I think more people need to know more about that side of the story because oil is about in the next five, 10 years is going to be the single dominant subject in our lives. It's going to drive more than the Fed. And when people ask me, hey, Chris, what will make the Fed finally lose control? It's oil. Oh, wow. That's, that's the one thing that's out of their control. You can't print it, nothing you can do about it. And that's what could drag this whole thing off of their plate. So can we, we talk about when Biden came in office, he cut the Keystone Pipeline. 
Yeah, drove the price of oil way up. So what are your thoughts about that? Well, not only did he do that, but um, there's something called the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. People heard about the so-called SBR. Yeah. Uh, he's been draining that. He's like a, a, the first president in our lifetimes or any lifetimes has been using our strategic petroleum reserve to day trade the price of gasoline for political purposes. Bottom line, though, is we're almost out of our strategic petroleum reserve, and now we're saber-rattling with China. So you're saying he was, he's been using the oil in our reserves to keep the prices at 3 4 $5 a gallon? Yep. Yeah, exactly. And they've been dumping it. So he was supposed to, it was supposed to be 180 million barrel release, and they blew right past that. We're at about 230 million barrels. They just announced another 10 million barrels. They said maybe they're going to put three back in, blah, blah, blah. They're just driving. They're just selling oil out of that as fast as possible to keep the price down. And, of course, what has that done? It's driven Saudi Arabia into the arms of China. And that's a huge geopolitical risk for us. And it's driven Iran and Saudi Arabia together. There's all these things, can happening that come together around this idea that because of how Biden has played games with our oil, he's risked the most valuable asset we've ever had, which is our petrodollar. If we lose that petrodollar status on the world stage, everything changes in ways that are almost impossible to describe. So let's go back and talk about that because, uh, was it Kissinger? Yeah. That cut the, pet- yeah, cut the petrodollar deal. So let's bring everybody back to that point, because essentially that's when we kind of became the world's reserve currency and everybody started trading dollars. Yeah, a lot of people would say the Bretton Woods and, you know, all these other things. And obviously there's a process to all this. So but let's talk about the petrodollar and why that could be a risk. So this is such fascinating history, right? So we're fighting the Vietnam War. Things are not going all that well from a monetary standpoint. Inflation has really taken off, much like the inflation we have today. Only we had gold-backed dollars due to Bretton Woods. So anybody in the world could come in with 35 U.S. dollars and exchange it for an ounce of gold. All our gold was hemorrhaging. That's August 15, 1971. They slammed the gold window, right? That was Nixon. Transitory. It was a temporary move. (laughs) (laughs) It's still with us temporarily. Yeah. Uh, So then what do you do? And they fixed the price, too, by the way. Gold of 35. Yeah, fixing prices. That always works. Yeah, that's a good plan, right? Like France with food today. So now what do you do? The dollar's now not backed by anything, and it was getting really tenuous. So Henry Kissinger, I think, is an evil guy, but he's an evil genius. And he came up with this idea that what we're going to do is back the dollar with oil. But not our oil. We're going to back it with Saudi Arabian oil. So he created this thing called the petrodollar, which, which basically enshrined this one thing. If you are somebody in the world and you wanted to buy oil, you had to conduct that in dollars. So I don't care if you're Chile wanting to buy oil from Yemen, you're going to conduct that trade in dollars. So it creates huge demand for dollars. And that was brilliant. It actually backed the dollar. People say, oh, the dollar is not backed by anything. No, it's been backed by our military and oil since 1973. Yeah. And by the way, that's going on now. So if if another country wants another country's oil, they they typically trade it in U.S. dollars, right? That's right. Except for the last couple of months. Right, right. Which we'll ought to get to. So... So that's been going on since the 70s. Mm-hmm. And then now, you know, Biden cut the Keystone Pipeline, drained the reserves. And now Saudi Arabia is cutting a deal with well, China, China, India. India, Iran. Yeah, Iran. Right. So, so what repercussions does that have for us? So because these other countries wanted oil and everybody needs oil and you have to trade oil in dollars, so they created strong demand for dollars. Question is how many? 
the last number I came up with was around $10 trillion is sitting offshore simply to conduct trade in oil. Now, what if you don't need those dollars to conduct that trade in anymore? What are those $10 trillion, trillion what <laughs> are they going to do? That's, right? the, that's the euro dollar market? Well, they're going to go, those dollars go somewhere, right? So if you don't want dollars, what do you do, right? So just recently, this also, I can't believe, like, are we living in these times? Janet Yellen was asked a question on the Senate hearing. She, they had said, hey, what if China decides to dump its treasuries? What's your plans? And she said, we don't have any plans, right? Of course not, right? But that's the great question because those aren't dollars sitting offshore. They're typically treasuries sitting offshore. And if the treasuries get sold, let's talk through the mechanism. I'm country A, I'm sitting on a lot of dollars, but they're in treasuries. I don't want them anymore. So what do I do? Well, I sell the treasuries. I'll sell them to you, Kenny. What am I selling them for? Well, they're U.S. treasuries, so you got to give me U.S. dollars. Now I'm sitting on U.S. dollars, but these were the things I didn't want. Now what do I do? I exchange them for something. Euros, yen, gold, property. I mean, it's, it's very hard to get rid of $10 trillion without really moving the needle on a whole lot of things, but commodities would be the obvious place for that to land. Well, you're right. And I know one of the things that I've been reading a lot about, uh, I, was, I think this was in The Economist, it's, is that the rest of the world is kind of pissed at us, and they're saying that we're weaponizing our dollar. We have weaponized We have weaponized our dollar. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I know when I was traveling around, you know, I, I went to, uh, let's see, in, Indonesia, Thailand, Singapore, and, you know, they're all, you're American? Yeah. Would you guys quit weaponizing the dollar? Would you quit, you know, devaluing the dollar? Because yeah. they're getting paid in dollars. So imagine when, when you're paying them in dollars and then we're printing uh, and all of a sudden their dollar is worth less. And so they're upset, right? And they're looking for other ways to move out of it. And, and they should be upset because fundamentally we have a faith-based currency, and it has value because more people have faith in it. And if you erode that faith, you undermine the very basis of our prosperity in this country and those people in Indonesia and places like that. So the seminal event, you want to know where this really went on rocket sled rails, Ken? February 2022, actually February 28th. That's the day that the United States froze Russia's sovereign reserves. Their central bank's sovereign reserves, and I'm using air quotes, because that proved that they were neither sovereign nor reserves. And that was the ultimate yeah. weaponization. That cross, that was the Rubicon, and I don't think that, that freaked was the, everyone out. It should have. Yeah, that freaked everyone out. That's when they all started trying to do other deals with other countries, right? Yep, that was it. it. The SWIFT account, I think it was. Yeah, that, that's that's the messaging system in banks. So China, we thought, oh, we'll cut Russia off from the SWIFT system. That'll teach them. And they had one up and running in like a week. Yep. You know? So, all right. And then uh, let's touch on the BRICS. You know, uh, Brazil, Russia... India, China, Saudi Arabia, right? South Africa. Oh, South Africa. But Saudi Arabia wants to join, yeah. Saudi Arabia does want to. Okay, so now they've created BRICS. Um, so how does that play into this whole picture? Oh, this is, this is astonishing. So I can't believe that we're living through these times. It's amazing. I can't really keep up with what's happening. But we've already seen that India is conducting bilateral cross-border trades with Bangladesh in rupees. They've cut the dollar out. Russia now conducts more trade in yuan than U.S. dollars. Iran and, and uh, Saudi Arabia got together and, and shook hands, right? Shia Sunni, oh my gosh, like that's a big moment, right? China brokered that deal. And Brazil and China are now cross-border trading in yuan. So what they're doing is they're cutting the dollar out of that system, and it's happening really fast right now. And that's all the BRICS primarily, but 
Africa's coming on board with this really fast. There's a lot in Mexico too. I saw uh, applied at least for the BRICS. So, and they're our neighbor. Are they? <laughs> so, all right. So, as you watch all this play out, how could it affect our economy? Well, the biggest thing is going to be if the Fed loses control of this situation, meaning that for whatever reason, lots of countries start dumping the dollar, you're going to see two things. These are the two things I watch for. Like if this if this pair couple happens, I send out an alert to all my Peak Prosperity subscribers. I say, run, don't walk to your nearest buy list. Get rid of dollars, right? Interest rates start to spike and the dollar starts to fall internationally. So if that means that thing we just talked about, Ken, starting to happen, when I sell a treasury, that starts to depress the price, which makes the yield go up. So the interest rates start to rise. The second step of that is I now have these dollars. I don't want them. And I start selling them. So the dollar's going down. So if I see rates go up and dollars go down, that means we've entered act two of this story. You asked which inning we're in. I was like, five. This is the next inning in that. That's where now what does the Fed do? How do you defend the dollar when it's falling in price, but also interest rates are going up? You have to spike interest rates to try and attract people to the dollar. What do you do? Print dollars to buy dollars? That doesn't work, right? So that's where I think the forcing function comes. And I'd like to say that's many years away, but I can't tell anymore. Things are happening so fast. Thank you. Well, so one of the things that I've noticed uh, this time around is that we've got kind of a worldwide inflation issue. You know, I, before you would see it somewhere, you'd see a currency collapse, Mexico, Zimbabwe, Venezuela, let's say. But now you start to read, I'm reading about, you know, the UK and, you know, all these different big, big countries uh, that are, um, uh, you know, and, and the individual countries inside the UK. You, all the, they're having lots of problems as a result of this high inflation and their central banks. Mm -hmm. So any comments on that? COVID upended a lot of things. And so one of the things that happened was that the central banks printed and the respective governments in the UK, the US, elsewhere, they took those monies and they actually gave them to people. Normally they give them to the banks, banks and speculators, yeah. right? So when people said before, oh, look at all this money printing, it didn't result in inflation. Yeah, it didn't make my milk go up in price. But we had a period of time, Ken, when, when we were looking at a price earnings ratio on stocks of north of 20 and 19 trillion dollars of negative yielding bonds in the world. So what negative yield means, the prices were sky high. So we had lots of inflation. It's just inflation is everywhere and always a monetary phenomenon. Wherever you put the money is where you're going to get the inflation. So what happened was with COVID, they gave a lot of money to regular people. And so that's where the inflation went this time. And they're trying very hard to undo that. The problem has been people have caught on to the scam. They've understood that the Fed prints gives it to the big banks who mostly give it to their private equity friends. They revolving door and all the 0.1% gets richer and richer and everybody else is suffering. And that's politically no bueno anymore. That's, that's a problem. But this time around, they actually did it in the form of stimmy checks and PPP and mm -hmm. some other ways. So it went right out and it went into people's bank accounts. Yeah. Which is very different from what they've done before. And, and now, you, you, you know, at one point we had really high savings rates. Now they're... Um, very low. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So is the difference between the high saving rate and the low saving rate, is that money that's in velocity that's working through the system? Is that why we're having inflation or had inflation? Or are we still have inflation? It's all sorts of reasons, but but we had we had so if we say inflation is rising prices, it's not accurate. Inflation is everywhere and always. It's a monetary phenomenon. So they put lots of money in the system and that caused prices to rise. Also, we had some supply disruptions from COVID, right? So there were things happening that, that caused prices to go up, not just because there were shortages, right? So price, demand, supply, you know, all those things come together. So now that we're here, though, it's clear that inflation is baked in the system. And that's really hard to undo. And the only tool that the Fed has at its disposal is to do what's called anchor people's expectations. So they have to be convincing that they're here to drive inflation down so that people think it's going down so they don't ask their boss for a raise. So that's what this whole game is down to at this point in time is seeing if they can get labor back under control. All right. So now we're going to jump into a touchy subject. Oh, good. <laughs> um, so I, I, I can't remember how many times you got canceled. Uh, you know, on social media, but it was a fair amount. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was like, okay, you're one of the cool kids. So you, you have something to say, and there's people, they, they don't want you to say it. And um, being a doctor, you had some strong opinions about COVID and what happened. So can you touch on that? Yeah. Um, so, so when COVID first hit, I sent out an alert to all my, all my peeps and actually sent it out publicly. On, it was uh, January 23rd, 2020. I said, hey, there's this thing called, I don't even know what it is. It's a coronavirus, didn't have a name then. And I said, lots of things are about to happen. February 5th, that same year, my wiki page got taken down because I was a non-notable person and way out of my lane talking about stuff. Um, and it just got worse from there. My YouTube subscribers are really climbing because I was giving good information until the day that I mentioned the dreaded word. There was one word that killed me, and then there was a second word that hurt even worse. The first word was hydroxychloroquine. I first surfaced that that had a strong signal in early March of 2020, and that was based on data, and it was based on NIH, a paper out of the NIH on SARS, the original class. And by the way, he's a scientist, so this is, this is your field. It's my thing, right? right. I, I can read a science yeah. paper, right? So there was a paper out there in 2005 saying that chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine worked against SARS, the original one. So we're facing SARS-2. Not that novel, right? So I thought, well, this could work. I put that out there, and immediately— they were on me even before this was like a thing and Trump had mentioned it and all that. So I knew that I was up against something that really didn't want that information to get out. But the word that killed me was ivermectin. Oh, wow. Why? Yeah. 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 Because, this, because it works. The stuff works amazing. So can I, I have hundreds of emails from people who said, hey, oh, no, I think I've got COVID. What do I do? And I said, go get some ivermectin. And they would say, you know, where do I get it? I, you know. If it's not time to order it from India, some people went and got the horse paste, right, literally from tractor supply. And I said, here's what's going to happen. You know, you take this amount and 24 hours later, you're going to think, hey, maybe I didn't have COVID after all. And 48 hours later, you're going to email me and say false alarm. And I have dozens and dozens of emails that happen just like that because this stuff actually works, right? And... Now we have all the data, and I was working with all these doctors. I'm on the board of the FLCCC, which is doctors Pierre Corey and Paul Merrick and that whole wonderful crew of people, right, helping them. 
do what they do. And watching the suppression they've achieved and all the canceling that happened, there is a machine out there, Ken, that was that wanted us sick and yep. if maybe even dead. It didn't I know. care. And it really pissed you off. It did piss me <laughs> off. I know. I don't back down. I love it. it. And I was like, okay, Chris is down again. <laughs> and then somehow you got back on and started, uh, you know, sharing it again. So, um, all right. So now let's fast forward. I know now you're on top of this topic. Mm. What are you starting to see now? Because we're starting to see, see studies, um, you know, around all of this. Here, here's, here's, here's where we are in this story. So this had nothing to do with data, right? We've had data for a very long time that these vaccines were upside down risk benefit ratio for people under the age of 50, absolutely not, re not required or even recommended for kids, right? We've had this data for a long time. So it wasn't about the data. There's this really wonderful piece of work that comes from Ben Hunt. He's a great analyst. He writes something called Epsilon Theory Letters. It was just this little article he wrote like eight years ago, caught me. It's called The Common Knowledge Game. And it works like this. The Common Knowledge Game is the story of the emperor has no clothes, right? So if we're all familiar with the story. The emperor is finally getting finer and finer clothes, and he's just walking Jaybird naked down the street. And everybody, know, you know, you and I have the private knowledge. We're over there whispering to each other, hey, Ken, he looks naked, right? That's still private knowledge. In fact, everybody in this audience right now could have that same private knowledge, and nothing happens. What happens in the story is the little girl screams out, he has no clothes, right? And then everybody knows that everybody knows. And that's common knowledge. And so we are really close to that state when it comes to things like vaccines, the fact that um, everything the CDC was doing was actually, I mean, added up, right? They said, stay home. Don't go outside where you could get vitamin D from the sun. Don't take any of these things like ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine, right? Don't go and see your loved ones when they're dying, right? Go to the hospital and get on a vent, maybe get some remdesivir. Every single thing they did was harmful. And you can flip a coin and do better than that, right? So when you look at that, the common knowledge is that our health authorities were actually in the business of trying to make us unhappy, scared, and sick. So it had nothing to do with health. It was a whole different game, right? And I think enough people now understand that what was the game was about power and control. That was what it was really about. And when everybody, you know, if everybody in this room thinks that, that's private knowledge. When we get to that common knowledge where everybody knows that everybody knows, that there was just about power and control, the game changes like that. And so I think we're really close to that tipping point based on what I'm seeing. So what are you seeing and why do you think we're so close? Because you look at the um, various uh, politicians now who are starting to ask really hard questions. Rochelle Walensky just got grilled up and down couple, last couple of days in Australia. They're starting to get that. They're starting to write articles in newspapers, in more and more mainstream newspapers, starting to note all of these things. So that's how it happens. It's, it's a tipping. It's like common knowledge is kind of like, why does the school of fish all of a sudden turn left? Like it's one of those things that happens very rapidly. I can feel that turning point coming. And it happens when people like us sit down and talk about it and are brave. And, you know, it'll be common knowledge when you and I can sit on a crowded bus and have this conversation and heads don't turn around going, what are you talking about? Right? They'll just be doing this. Yeah. Okay. So... <laughs> the game will turn I know, I know, I know Alrighty, so tell me What was the end game For all of that What just happened Well obviously it's, it's the oldest story In the book, right? It's greed and power and control Right? So that's, that's what I think This was really about, it was about Selling us more pharmaceutical products It was about 
getting us involved in things like central bank digital currencies, digital passports, vaccine passports, right? It's all control, right? So the reason I think all that's happening, though, has nothing to do with that particular episode. It's everything I'm going to talk about in my talk tomorrow, which is I think there's a big story going on about the end of this regime of this currency because we've overplayed our hand and done too much, you know, because of where we are with resources. I think there's a big shift coming. And when people in power feel that shift, their instinct, Ken, is to lock it down. They want you on a universal basic income, living in a 15-minute city, not traveling, not having freedoms. That's their instinct, right? And I think a lot of people are nervous these days because they can feel something's not right in this story, right? And our freedom comes from, you know, getting really well-educated, surrounding yourself with good people who know what's going on and are able to take action. Those are the three things that, that help you. Yeah, that's exactly why we do this limitless conference. You know, exactly. this is... That's why it's not a real estate conference. You know, it's, yeah. it's a freedom conference. Um, but thank you. Thank you. So, all right. So here we are. Um, we're about to, uh, you know, potentially look at this, this uh, central bank digital currency. And I don't want to get into a lot of your talk. But one of the things that I've read is that the, by, 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 there's two things. One is, you don't really need banks because you can get a an account with the Fed, which is what they want. Because mm -hmm. why would you need to have a bank? Two, they have they know exactly from a privacy standpoint what you're doing, when you're doing it, yeah. and they can kind of control the allocation, I guess, based on a social score. Um, as I was talking to George Gammon about that. Um, what do you, uh, are those conspiracy theories or where, am I off here? No, no, it's not a conspiracy theory. So the Bank of England in 2021 put out a, a position paper saying, hey, if we're going to do central bank digital currencies, they have this feature, it's called programmability. So Ken, if I'm a central bank, I could program your currency. It only works within five miles of your house. You are not allowed to buy bread, but you could buy pizza. Like you, you can program it to anything you want. And the central bank said, hey, this is out of our wheelhouse. We can design this thing, but programmability is a political question. How are you going to use this ability to control people? You know, it's actually not a, it's not a monetary question at all. It's a social and political control question. So they've been working on that programmability. It's part of the whole thing. And that's where they want to go with this. Now, Evie and I were just at a, at a luncheon with um, RFK Jr. the other day, and I'm not a politician. I don't do politics. But I had a chance, you know, sitting across the table from him to ask, you know, if you had one issue, one issue only, what would that issue be? And he said, well, you know, I, I worked with all these farmers and fishermen, and I found out that we don't actually have free market capitalism anymore. But free market capitalism is exactly how you progress freedom and prosperity. And we don't have that. We've got this corporatocracy and, you know, it's, it's some other thing, right? Crony capitalism. He said, that's bad. But if we get a central bank digital currency, it's lights out. From that point forward, we're all slaves. That was like the first time I've ever thought, oh my God, a politician said something that like made sense and was actually true. But he's right. If we get this central bank digital currency with programmability, all freedom goes away. Well, wow, that's uplifting. Well, that's, that's why it matters. I mean, we got like, to understand this and, and fight this. I think <laughs> this is it, buddy. I really do. It's always the most important election ever, but I actually think this time we we got it. We can't let this go. We can't no, let this go down. I, I know, and, and there are some uh, digital currencies rolled out now, right? Can you talk about this? Is it China has one? Yep. Yeah, and they have a social score. 
mm-hmm. right? And are they modeling, uh, are they trying to model the U.S. after that? Yes. Canada, I think, would be the first test bed for that. Uh, Canada. Possibly. They, they always go with the island nations. Remember when they did the first bank bail-in, right? They're like, bail-in? What's a bail-in, right? Yeah. It was Cyprus. It was a little island. It was. They target an island because they think people can't get off it, you know? And they find out where the rat holes are, and turns out people did get their money out of there anyway, right? But that's, they always do that, right? They, they try these things in a small contained Petri dish first. So might be Canada, honestly, where they try that first. They got, they got, they got uh, Justin Trudeau, you know, he's like a big fan of that whole system. Oh, God, I don't Christian Freeland. I know, I know. That's just how it is. So, all right, before we wrap up, let's talk about, you know, obviously this is a Financial Freedom Expo, Limitless, we're here. What what should we be continuing to be fight for here, uh, you know, and everywhere? What what do you think is the core thing that we all, the flag we should carry moving forward? It, it, financial freedom is actually top of my list. I think if, if when anybody has financial freedom, so I have lots and lots of emails from people who had to take the vaccine because they had to, you know, because their job depended on it. They were, they were just not in a position to refuse, right? Whereas if they had financial freedom, they would have had a choice, a legitimate choice. So financial freedom gives us our choice freedom, right? That's So that's number one. And number two is, I think what's time for everybody to understand really where we are in this story, and, and it's coming together, Ken. It's just like this getting good people together to do good things together. That's where my hope lies in this whole story. It and feels like it's a silent majority. It is. I, I think it, it is. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Like, I mean, I know you, you went and found your community, and you and Evie have you know, done an incredible job there, and you've done it. I mean, you left New York. You left Wall Street. You've done it. And do you, do you think that uh, uh, that's part of, you know, uh, where we should be heading? Well, I absolutely do. And, and of course, you know, the, the data says that's what the data says. But this is not about the data. Again, it's about it's about understanding what belief systems we have and making sure that you have enhancing belief systems in your life. And the first place to start with is finance, because it doesn't matter whether you're left or right or which religion you come from. Everybody cares about their pocketbook or the wallet. Right. So so that's important. But we often find that that's where we a lot of our limiting beliefs come in. So, again, we, it's primal time. What is wealth? Wealth is not money, right? Yeah. Where, how do you add value to something, right? Not how much money do you make, but how do you add value? And those are the prime questions we're, we're getting down to here. So, honestly, through all of this, you don't want to know what, why, why I'm so excited by what's coming? Because we get to rip the covers off of lives that for a lot of people were, were devoid of meaning, purpose, not fun. That's what I think COVID taught us, right? They're like, where'd all these workers go? Well, they found out they hated going to work for that $9 an hour job down there, right? So once that veil gets lifted, then people are free to go, whoa, why am I here on this earth? What am I supposed to be? Who am I? And what am I here for, right? So I love watching that waking up happening. So that that's, that's this is actually exciting times, so yeah. believe it or not. I sure love watching you. Maybe we'll get canceled over this show. That'd be even awesome. Yeah. And, yeah, your your money now is only one mile from your house. <laughs> well, uh, big hand for Chris. All right, thank you. Thank everybody. you, man. I appreciate you. Um, thank you for listening to this episode of the Real Estate Strategies Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please give us a five-star review on iTunes and let us know what you thought of today's episode. Thank you, and we'll see you next week. 
Any information or advice available on this podcast is intended for educational and general guidance only. Ken McElroy and KenMcElroy.com LLC shall not be liable for any direct, incidental, consequential, indirect, or punitive damages arising out of the access to or use of any of the content available on this podcast. Consult a financial advisor or other wealth management professional before you make an investment of any kind. Although Ken McElroy and his affiliates take all reasonable care to ensure the contents of this podcast are accurate and up-to-date, all information contained on it is provided as is. Ken McElroy makes no warranties or representations of any kind concerning the accuracy or suitability of the information contained on this podcast. Any links to other websites are provided only as a convenience and macro.com LLC encourages you to read the privacy statements of any third-party websites. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So, I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright and start getting lucky. Play for free at luckylandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.